With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting live around the world. This is The Ryan Lindsay Show. Phone lines are open to speak with Ryan or any of his guests at 319-527-6702 or email Ryan. The email address is ryan at ryanlindsayshow.com. Now, here's Ryan Lindsay. Once again, we join you from the fabulous Northwoods of Wisconsin. I am Ryan Lindsay. So glad to have you with us tonight. My co-host Tamara Gleason also on the line live from Nashville. We'll talk to her in just a moment. I want to give you, uh, bring you up to date on a couple of guests coming up the rest of the week. On Wednesday, John Russell will be my guest. We'll take, uh, take calls for psychic readings on Wednesday at uh, 8 p.m. right here. And we'll also talk about his book, Riding with uh, Angels, Ghosts, and the Spirits of the Dead. Uh, no show on Black Friday. On Monday the 30th, we'll talk with Kim Chesney about radical intuition. So that's coming up on Monday the 30th. As for tonight, we've got a, a good one for you. We're going to talk with Frank Joseph, Ancient High Tech, the Astonishing Scientific Achievements of Early Civilizations. So Frank Joseph coming up in just a couple of minutes. have to introduce my co-host, Tamara Gleason, live from Nashville. Tamara, how are you? Hi, I'm excellent. I actually am about an hour south of Nashville tonight, doing oh, just are. doing some readings and checking out the haunted south. I'm in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, and uh, right near some old Civil War battlegrounds. And uh, oh. wow, I've already had a paranormal experience tonight, so it was quite interesting. So it's been what happened? It's the most fun. Well, we were talking about this woman. Um, we were next door, um, and a woman had passed away, and we were talking about this house. And the woman that's caring for the house was saying she had lost a key and couldn't find it, couldn't find it, and it literally fell from thin air and, uh, in, and landed right in front, of, in front of her, and she had asked if that happened. And I said, I have so many stories like that where things will fly fly from thin air and just Mm -hmm. as you said this there's a beautiful fireplace and a candle came flying a pillar candle came flying off the fireplace and landed right in front of the floor in front of us and we could feel the energy of her presence and it was quite um quite phenomenal but yes it's definitely the haunted south and um so we give a lot of reverence to the spirits here, but yeah, she, she definitely made herself known, but um, yeah, so I did, you know, I'm going to be doing some readings down here and yeah, it's been an interesting week. How's it, how's, how's the weather up there in, in Wisconsin? Uh, it's cold, of course, <laughs> very cold, not a whole lot of snow yet. We had a little bit of snow, but uh, it's, it's cold, but I've got to tell you, I had my own paranormal experience just the other day. What happened is, I was uh, online and getting a reading from our friend Joe, Joe LaCastro. And um, it was just a, a short 15, 20-minute reading for a couple of bucks, and, and uh, we talked for a little while. And I was ready to type thank you into the chat box because he was doing it on a Facebook Live. And uh-huh. just... So- so I wasn't talking to him. He was just talking to me, but I was ready to answer his questions in the chat box. And so I was going to type thank you and then ask a question. And as I typed thank, suddenly in the chat box, and this wasn't a copy and paste. It wasn't what anybody else had typed. It just popped up in the chat box. Don't judge me based on what other people told you. Get to know me. 
That sentence was in the chat all by itself. Yep. Top it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's been a very paranormal week. Um, the apartment I, I live in, I've had some very strange experiences. One of the first ones is, you know, I bring my sacred stuff. I bring sage. I sage the place. Um, and I have a rattle um, that you shake. You know, it's a vibrational thing to shake up the energy and shake out any dense energy. And I was sleeping, and I heard the rattle shake, and it woke me up. And I thought to myself, oh, it must have just, like, rolled because it's kind of made out of a gourd type of thing. And I'm like, oh, it just rolled. And I tried Mm -hmm. to just, like, wipe it up, you know, just clear it off as that. And I closed my eyes, and just as I did that, I heard it shake, shake, shake. And then land on the tape counter, <laughs> you know, just beat for me. And I'm like, okay, that's enough. And I just rolled over and went back to bed. Um, so I, I know I definitely have a lot of angels around me right now anyway. And as a medium sure. and as a mystic, they can, they, they know you're there, you know. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like you're just this vibration, kind of this like beacon in the night. And, you know, you're getting a little bit mystic yourself there, Ryan. You have this wonderful oh, yeah. radio show. You're opening up your third eye even more so. And you were a police yeah. officer, you know, chief of police for how many years? And everyone that has that type of job where you intuitively have to plug in, tap in, tune in, and that's the military, police, EMTs, bartenders, hairdressers, everybody's intuitive, <laughs> yeah. right? But when you use yeah. it, it's like muscle, right? So I love to hear your, your third eyes opening again. Well, I think it is. So, uh, so yeah. And uh, let's, let's get to our guests, shall we? This is going to be yeah, a good one. please. I know yes. you've been looking forward to this. Uh, Frank Joseph, uh, yeah. he, was the editor, he was the editor-in-chief of Ancient American Magazine from 1993 to 2007. He is the author of several books, including Before Atlantis, Advanced Civilizations of Prehistoric America, and The Lost Civilization of Lemuria. Tonight we will talk about his book, Ancient High Tech, The Astonishing Scientific Achievements of Early Civilizations. Very glad to welcome to the show Frank Joseph. Frank, how are you? I'm fine now that I'm talking with you, Ryan. I'm glad to hear you. It's a very interesting uh, conversation leading up to this. <laughs> Sometimes we get a little long-winded ourselves here. so. Uh... No, not at yeah. all, not at all. A lot of worthwhile. Some years ago, uh, I knew several police officers, uh, detectives as a matter of fact, um, and other people that were in law enforcement. And when we got to know each other pretty well over time for other things, um, they shared with me uh, their experience, some of their experiences when they would go into a crime scene. And sometimes when they're doing follow-up uh, investigation, they go into a room that would look completely normal, nothing wrong with it at all, uh, no indication that anything had happened, and they got a feeling that a murder had been committed there. I heard this from several um law enforcement officers who didn't know each other, but they said that whenever they had that feeling, they were always right. And the so-called policeman's hunch, they assured me, Mm -hmm. is an absolutely real thing. You can just go into the environment, and if you open yourself up to it, even though there's nothing visually, no clues whatsoever or signals to suggest something like that. So there's no doubt that... um, uh, this human capacity uh, has always been with us, and uh, so it's it, it's great that you are you're open to uh, all uh, forms of knowledge, not just uh, the kind that we can read about in books. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we have to be, and and I've said on the show before, back when I was in the academy many many years ago, um, they they actually. I wouldn't say they taught it, but they definitely let us know you will have times where the hair on the back of your neck will stand up and you have to listen. You have you have to take that into account because something is going on, whether it's your experience or whether it's your, your third eye opening, as Tamara says, or whether it's just intuition, whatever it is, you need to pay attention to that. Well, that's very interesting. I had no idea that they went so far as to actually mentioned that in the police academy. That's that's great. Well, I don't see how they can avoid it. But in a way, that right. segues to uh, our conversation tonight, because 
uh, I've learned that the great achievements of the ancient world many centuries and thousands of years ago was not just scientific, even though their scientific achievements were prodigious, more so than I ever imagined. Their, their great achievements were based in, on the idea that spirituality and science for our ancient ancestors were indistinguishable. They, did, they made no right. distinctions as we make today. Oh, this is religion, this is science, or this is spirituality, and that's a material way of looking at it. The ancients did not, did not make that right. distinction. And as a consequence, because they melded science and spirituality, I should say at the beginning, it's their spirituality was not religion. There was no religion in the ancient world. There was just spirituality, mystical experience, that sort of thing. Religion came much later. We're not talking about dogma or doctrine or anything right. like that at all. And, but because of their, their ability to meld science and spirituality, their achievements in many regards, have outstripped anything that we have done or were thousands of years in advance of what we later discovered. When I wrote my earlier books on Atlantis and Lemuria and so on, um, I couldn't help but notice that there were occasional references to instances of technology thousands of years ago that were way ahead of their time. And parallel to what we're doing now and sometimes even beyond and so i collected these examples and i got so many of them that i decided well it might be interesting to put them together in a book and and see if we can find some parallels with our own time or what we can learn from this and in putting this book together i found it extremely exciting it was far more interesting than i imagined it would be I've written over 42 published books, and when I write these books, I don't know what I'm writing about. I, I have a very vague <laughs> idea of something interesting, and then I collect uh, pieces of information, and it gathers its own information. And when the book is written, I say, well, this is pretty fascinating. Who wrote this? It was like I just take dictation. And uh, <laughs> that's what I did with this book, too. It was I, I found out a little bit about ancient technology, and then the more I collected, the more it formulated itself, and the book, like, wrote itself. And I figured, like, oh, this is, this is cool stuff. So I'm like a, a secretary, I feel, in, in many regards. And, but in any case, um, that is the basis for these great achievements. And I, I found that these achievements fell into three basic categories, whether they were done in ancient Egypt or Europe or China or Japan or, any, or in the Americas. Great, great technological achievements in ancient America. Amazingly enough, people don't know. But the three basic categories. The first one was that they invented things, uh, technology that was so far ahead of their time and so beyond anything we imagined that they were not found for many, many centuries later. Other things that they invented were totally lost when their civilization fell, completely lost. And then when the Renaissance came along, there were slight references to them, and then we reinvented them. And then the most exciting of all is that they invented things thousands of years ago we haven't done yet. Secrets they had that are beyond anything that we know today. We're just beginning to recognize it. And some of these things that we are not, that science, modern science today, used to laugh at, that the ancient Egyptians did as being completely superstitious, we're now learning that they're making important contributions, especially to medicine. And these are secrets that were lost for thousands of years. So that's why I think this is a fascinating subject, and it doesn't require people to have a, a great technical facility in understanding the, the, the pros and cons of all these uh, medical and uh, industrial things. The things we take for sure. granted and things that are still going to contribute to what we're building now. Sure. There, there's just so much in the book. There's so much to talk about. I, I look, looking just at the table of contents, and, and towards the end you speak of uh, pyramid power. I think a lot of people, when they think of ancient high tech, think of the Great Pyramid and the pyramids and what they might have uh, been used for. What what is what is your theory about what the pyramids were actually used for? 
Well, now you're you're starting with the, about the biggest one of them all, <laughs> the top one. At the, at the, at, so I'm not going to be able. Everything after this is going to be downhill because this is really the most terrific thing that they ever did, so far as we know. Uh, well, it isn't just a theory. Uh, when you get solid evidence for something and you draw a conclusion from it, okay, it's a theory, but this is is so close. It's not like something think, wishful thinking, oh, I wish it was this or that. And this point of view, I won't call it a theory. It's beyond a theory. It's beyond a hypothesis. It's demonstrable. It's still proving itself. It isn't something that I discovered on my own. I, I looked into it, and there's others, there are other wonderful investigators. I'm thinking of specifically Christopher Dunn, who maybe some of our listeners might be familiar with. He's the author of a terrific book called The Giza Power Plant. And basically he and I came to the same conclusions kind of independently. Christopher Dunn, uh, by the way, is a an expert machinist. He's invented tools. He owns his own uh, machinist factory in Illinois, or he did. He's just one of the the top material construction engineers of our time. And he has devoted the last 25 or 30 years to investigating ancient Egyptian technology and has created some wonderful books in that. Well, to answer your question, what is the Great Pyramid really? First of all, what it is not, what it has never been. It has never been a tomb. It has never been a burial place for anybody. And that's... uh, Although that is the accepted uh, Egyptological view and the insistence that, yes, it was for a king, all one has to do is to go visit the Great Pyramid and go inside, just take a tour, and you will see that if any pharaoh would be buried in a place like this, it would be the most miserable, powerless pharaoh imaginable. You have these tiny corridors no way could you have a funeral procession in there. Whoever this pharaoh was that was supposedly entombed in that was a real cheapskate pharaoh, and that just, just is impossible. The, 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 the spaces inside the Great Pyramid that you can go in are hardly more than crawl spaces. There's no way that, and there's no decoration in there. Whenever you go to Egypt, you can see all of the temples and shrines and palaces that are covered with hieroglyphs and temple art. That was the Egyptian way. The Great Pyramid is the most un-Egyptian of all of the buildings in Egypt, as strange as it is to say, because there are no decorations inside. There never were. There's no hieroglyphs, no inscriptions, no temple art whatsoever. What pharaoh would allow himself to be in such a a miserable set of uh, environmental circumstances? Sure. If you take a cross-section of the Great Pyramid, and you can go to just about any book on the Great Pyramid or on Egypt, and you see the center, a centerpiece, and they have a slice down the middle, and you see what it looked like on the inside, and you compare that with your own experience, as millions of people have had walking through the Great Pyramid, it doesn't resemble a tomb or a funeral monument at all, but it does resemble something that is very recognizable and it's very familiar. And it only represents this one object, the only parallel, and that is a transducer. A transducer is a device that was invented in the mid to late 19th century, still used today. A transducer is a very simple device that takes mechanical energy and transforms it into electrical energy. And an example of that today is a needle on um, an, an old phonograph. Now they're old long playing record uh, phonograph. That needle has a little crystal inside. It's part of a transducer. And it takes the vibrations that comes out of the needle in the groove of record, turns them into electronic impulses, which are then transferred into the speaker and, and reproduces music or sound or whatever. That's exactly what this object is. Now, it's not a needle like a phonograph. It's a transducer for releasing negative ions on a huge scale. That's what transducers do. That's part of the uh, uh, collateral effect of a transducer. Well, why would anybody want to create something like that? Why, why have all this these negative ions going on? Well, if you want to build a great civilization, a splendid place to go is the Nile Valley. 
because it's so agriculturally rich. Trouble is, or was, Egypt, the Nile Valley specifically, was seismically active. It was a seismically violent place. It still is to a much lesser degree. The tectonic plates, they shift over time. But back in the day, 5,000 and more years ago, you had a lot of major earthquakes going on. So why build a civilization there if it's going to tumble down your buildings? But if you have a great transducer and you have a series of transducers like stitches in a wound on either side of the Nile River, and that's exactly what the pyramids are. There are about 98 or 99 known pyramids that are on the east and west banks of the Nile River. They act, if they're transducers, what they will do is they will take that seismic energy and re-release it as electrical impulses and create all these negative ions. That is what the Great Pyramid was primarily made for. It was a building like all major constructions today. It had multiple purposes. And one of the chief purpose, the fundamental purpose of the Great Pyramid, that was as and still is as an electric device, an anti-earthquake device that can prevent major seismic violence from taking place in the cradle of civilization. Now, what's the proof of that? First of all, it's the uh, close resemblance between the so-called king's chamber and the queen's chamber and the gallery and all these to the inside of a, of a standard transducer. The other thing is that this device, although ruined, and ruinous still basically works. At the top of the Great Pyramid is known as uh, the blue light. The blue light or the blue aura has been seen from time to time. It, it's rare or it's a really kind of infrequent. It isn't all that rare. It is seen occasionally. Whenever there is still tectonic uh, movement in the Nile Valley, and there still is, although it's minor at this point, often a blue light is seen to dance around the apex of the Great Pyramid. This is the uh, ionic discharge, the corona discharge it's known as, around transducers. They also produce this bluish uh, haze. It's not particularly bright, but it's noticeable. I had a friend about 30 years ago, he was at the Mina House, which is this wonderful hotel that's faces out on the Great Pyramid. And one night he was watching the Great Pyramid in the uh, moonlight, many people have done, and there was a slight tremor, and he saw this blue haze dance around the apex, and he was quite amazed at seeing such a thing, couldn't believe it. And yet, if you talk to guides that are there, it's, they're familiar with this effect. And this is the corona discharge that's associated with the transducer. Now, the Great Pyramid does not perform the way it was meant because its uh, limestone casing has been stripped. Uh, there has been damage done to the inside. It is no longer a perfect machine, but it does fundamentally uh, function, I guess, in a very basic way. And the other pyramids are built almost the same way, primarily the same. Their chief purpose was to transduce the seismic violence of the Nile Valley that allowed civilization to take place. Now, I, that's all I can sum up in the short space of time we have here, but uh, um, I go into greater detail in, that in the book. Sure. You can just tell your passion just <laughs> dripping off of you, Frank, the, the passion about <laughs> your, your, your research and, and, and everything. You just you sound so excited about it, doesn't he, Tamara? Who doesn't? You know, we're total nerds here. Just get, quit acting like you're not so excited because I know you are, Ryan. Ryan and I <laughs> were roommates. Frank, Frank, Ryan and I were roommates in college 30 years ago. Oh, my gosh. And uh, we we had these types of conversations for years. That's why we sound like we, we forget sometimes that because we just get, get so giddy about this. Now, you were we're, talking about these um like a, a a recording needle. Are are you familiar with the I'm sure you are. <laughs> Who am I talking to here? Um the uh cat crystal castles down in Florida? Very much so. Uh there's your synchronicity again because uh I, I've just been reading a book about it, a wonderful book. Uh, I'm still in the process of yes. it. It's called 
Carl Castle, Everything You Know About It is Wrong, by a wonderful <laughs> man from India. His name is Praveen Mohan, and he's a great independent researcher, just a fabulous guy. And he's bringing out astounding things about Carl Castle. Carl Castle, of course, was built by this amazing little man called Edward Leeds Kalnan from Latvia. And he never divulged the secret of building this place, which is impossible. He was a little guy, five feet tall. He weighed maybe 110 pounds. He was dying of tuberculosis. And he lived all alone in Florida in the 1920s and 30s, where he built this place called Coral Castle that amounts to over 1,100 tons of coral that has been lifted sometimes as high as 28 feet in the air and precisely oriented to numerous celestial phenomena. And when he was asked how he could have possibly built this place, he just said simply that he had learned the secret of the Egyptians and making uh, the alignments and lifting the cutting and lifting the great stone. But he never told what those secrets were. The Great uh, Pyramid not only prevented the seismic violence from interfering with the uh, creation of the first dynasties, it also, as I mentioned earlier, produced huge amounts of negative ions. Well, what, what difference does that make? Well, that would make a terrific difference because negative ion therapy is used today in hospitals for uh, patients who have trouble with normal anesthesia, and uh, they have some kind of a biological reaction to it. So these people are treated with large doses of negative ions, and the negative ion machines are in the, in the room with these people. And it induces them deep serenity, uh, sleep sometimes, but deep serenity, and so much so that even patients, some of them who are atheists or agnostics, claim that they see angels or they have spiritual encounters of various kinds, always of a positive nature. It's now understood that negative ions interface with the hippocampus of the human brain, and that is the sometimes regarded as the seat of the soul or the seat of the higher consciousness. So if you have a society like the ancient Egyptians, and you're bombarded, the whole society is being bombarded by these negative ions, you're naturally going to create a highly spiritualized people. And the Egyptians had a civilization that lasted over 3,000 years. And boy, that's a legacy that no other civilization has been able to equal. That they held it together for that long. All other human civilizations, like our own, they self-destruct. The Egyptians eventually did so too, but it took them over 3,000 years to lose their culture. And they were a highly spiritualized people. And with their spirituality and their science, they could do great things like the Great Pyramid. That is by no means the only thing. But now little uh, Ed Leitzkalnen in Florida, 80 years ago, uh, somehow he was able to tap into some of that greatness, and the result was this miraculous place that um, just beggars description. To, if you've ever been there, it, it's almost a life-changing experience to see this. I just read a, I just read a little bit oh about it today. In fact, it was. What, does that have? Is Cor, <laughs> of course, I did. Does Coral Castle have the uh, the the large stone gate right in front where a child could push it with her finger uh, to open the it? Gate, and it, uh, it just, the gate is. Uh, as a matter of fact, that was it, it. Gave its name to the site originally. It was not known as Coral Castle. It's called Rock Gate Park back in 1928, and this gate is nine tons. It's a stone that was quarried out of the ground. Coral. You know how difficult it is to work with coral? So a sharp-edged, brittle coral. Nine tons was placed upon uh, a Ford truck axle in such a way that uh, a small girl could uh, push it open. It would revolve perfectly. And it worked perfectly until the early uh, 1970s. And then when it broke... Um, 
the the uh, curators of uh, Coral Castle hired several firms to restore it to replace it. They couldn't do it. They didn't know how mm. it could be done. Right. Interesting. Amazing. So, uh, it is. It's it's really yeah. there's an old show, a uh, Leonard Nimoy show called In Search of back made in the nineteen late sixties. Oh, yeah. And it, it shows uh, a small child pushing on this nine ton gate and it just swings like this with no effort whatsoever. So, quite amazing. Well, the, quite amazing. The research I have done on it, there was some some talk of school age kids that would watch him because you'd let the kids watch him but not the adults kind of thing. And they had talked about him having, like, two metal cones. They called them ice cream cones because they didn't know what to call them, but some kind of cones in his hands that helped defy gravity or or they they speculated. And I I think I had read that there were some, you know, hieroglyphs of, of ancient Egyptians carrying such things that they felt that might be some kind of energy you know, transmitter. Have you had you ever heard of anything like that? I have, um, but you know, in anything uh, like this that's so so incredible, there's going to be uh, misinterpreted information. Not, not, I'm not saying lies. Just things get retold and they get kind of sure, lost. Sure. Uh, from what I understand, and this <laughs> actually is even more amazing than that. Uh, Ed <laughs> preferred to work at nighttime. Can you imagine quarrying uh, nine-ton blocks of coral and setting them up perfectly at nighttime? He preferred to work by moonlight. Um, that is known. That, that There's no question about that. So I, I, we're dealing with something that is really outstrips our understanding, just like this ancient technology uh, mm-hmm. that we're dealing with in ancient Egypt and other places. Well, the the Greeks too. They had um, these magnificent solid bronze doors that originally uh, opened up on uh, the uh, temple of um, Athena, and these bronze doors were thirty feet high. Uh, they weighed uh, in excess of forty tons, and they needed teams of oxen to open and close them. How do a how does a pre-industrial people? supposedly with no electricity or anything, how can you set up and so perfectly align these 40-ton doors on their axles? And they performed. They worked for literally hundreds and hundreds of years, probably more than a 1,000 years before the place was abandoned and no longer kept up. So we're dealing with a, a mind and a technology that is astounding, when I went to school back in the 1950s and 60s, uh, the ancients were deprecated. They were regarded as, oh, they did a few clever things, but, you know, nothing as great as we can do. You know, our technology, well, mm-hmm. our applied science is the greatest of all time. We're, uh, the development of all civilizations is linear. It's led up to us. We're the greatest thing ever. Well, I found out that's a lie. It's a, it's a total falsehood. You know, we're lucky if we can repeat some of the things that the ancients did. And they still have a lot to, to teach us, and not only in setting up heavy stones, in, in their medicine and their optics. It's uh, it's astounding what, what they did and what they were able to do. Well, back to the, the ancient Greeks, and uh, you'd mentioned earlier that some uh, technology that was lost and, and later discovered. I think of uh, the, the and I hope I'm pronouncing it right, I've just seen it written, the Antikythera device or mechanism. Oh, yeah, it's, it's astounding. Um, you know, what I tried to do in the book, and I certainly will address it to, to this uh, question also, uh, I tried to stay away from too much interpretation or theorizing just to just give the facts out as as best as possible, and I list all my sources. So this is not none of this is made up. But the Antikythera device is called Antikythera because it was found uh, under the, under the sea in the Aegean, the Eastern Mediterranean, uh, in the early part of the 20th century by a sponge diver, and it just looked to him it just looked like an unusual piece of sponge that was growing over something. And he brought it up as a curiosity. And the archaeologists were able to break the sponge open and found this incredibly complex geared device. And 
what it amounts to is it has the differential gears, um, and it's roughly dated to, but they can't date it exactly, but it's got to be at least 2,200 years old, at least. It could be much older. It's made of bronze, and it was only when it was restudied in the 1960s that it was determined that it's an astronomical computer. Uh, it's mechanical, it's correct, it's not electrical parts, but the mechanics are so beautifully, were so beautifully engineered that with just a very small handle, you can, which you can turn, the gears intermesh, intermesh in such a way that they show the locations of planets and stars and constellations that provide an extremely accurate view of the sky any time of the year. So this was an important sailor's device, a navigation device. Uh, when it was finally understood what the Antikythera device uh, really is, an astronomical computer, uh, the the uh, archaeologist said it's like finding a turbojet engine in Tutankhamun's tomb. It's on that same level of technology. In other words, the devices, the gear ratios that were in this ancient device were not discovered until the uh, mid to late 19th century. So here's a device that is easily 2,000 years ahead of its time, and it's not the first. Maybe it's not even the best they had. It's just the one that was found. Sure. Uh, so we're dealing with, you know, the conceptions of things that we, we never imagined possible. Uh, you can extend this to everything. In, in medicine, for example, uh, there is a, an herbal, uh, a, a, a folk herb that's been used by the Chinese uh, for many, many years. And when the communists took over in China, in 1949, uh, they actually went about uh, hunting down the uh, practitioners of this herb and had them killed because uh, they felt that they were keeping China from going into the modern age, and uh, Mao Zedong decreed that they were uh, capitalists trying to undermine the system and so on. Well, a few of these people survived, and the herbs that they used, and now that the regime over there, although it's still horrible, is, has relinquished some of its severity. And these old uh, herbal remedies are now being re-examined and are found, this one herbal especially, called Huang Shu, is, which just means literally bark. It is a form of bark and treated in such a way that was regarded as primitive. It's now found that it, it, it creates a, uh, a sedative that's at the same time curative for abdominal cancer. And the oh, Chinese wow. are making advances in this that are, I mean, you can, I read about this in The Lancet. I didn't read about this in some uh, far-out uh, New Age magazine. The Lancet, of course, is the leading medical journal in the world, and Hong Shu which is now being uh, studied very seriously in the West as well, has had a phenomenal success rate with stomach cancer. So that's just one of numerous examples um, right. of, of the advances. And, and archaeologists always wonder, well, how is it the Egyptians never had cancer? And that's true. For all the thousands of mummies that have been found, there's no cancer in them, none. Well, how is that possible? They had other forms of disease, especially gum disease and things like that, dental problems, but they didn't have any cancer. What is that? What's in their diet? They could figure it out. Well, I describe this in the book in greater detail. I don't want time to go into all of it, but what it amounted to is that the Egyptians attended, the average Egyptian attended uh, numerous uh, temple ceremonies, um, there were all kinds of rituals and so forth, and at all these ceremonies, was there were always copious amounts of a burning of a specific resin called frankincense. It was later taken up by the Catholic Church, as a matter of fact. I think it's, it still yeah. may be used. I don't know, but frankincense was used in prodigious quantities by the ancient Egyptians. Not only did they burn it and inhale it at these ceremonies, they burned it and inhaled it at home. And uh, they even included it in part of their medicine. They had it ground up 
and would include it for a number of ailments. When this was first, and this has been known for hundreds of years, uh, archaeologists have known that the Egyptians were crazy about frankincense and that they were so superstitious they even ground it up and they gave it to their patients to ingest. And how silly is that? Well, now the correlation between frankincense and cancer cure, a real for various forms of cancer, is being established. This is really cutting-edge medical science. I just learned this while I was writing the book, that the the relationship between inhaling frankincense and actually uh, ingesting it under certain uh, circumstances has an extremely and extremely inhibiting effect for various forms of cancer. There's a French uh, society, uh, medical society right now, which is working full time um, developing. First of all, they have to understand the, the properties exactly how they work. The Egyptians understood the properties of frankincense and a specific type of frankincense. It's a resin that they had to go all the way to the bottom of South America, South Africa to go for. They had these very long expeditions. They sailed down the Red Sea along the coast of Africa, and it'd be like in South uh, East Africa where they got this one special herb. Unfortunately, that uh, not the herb that that resin that resin uh, doesn't seem to exist anymore. So they're trying to extrapolate from the mummy uh, uh, the mummy evidence. Of the frankincense that they use, but that this is serious. This is going on right now, and so that explains it's one reason why the Egyptians were cancer-free. What that would mean for us today, and that they're finding oh, out about absolutely. it. Absolutely, I, I think of uh, I something else. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I use it every day. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention uh, something along today's medical lines. We're, we're searching for a vaccine for our current predicament, of course. But uh, And I think a lot of people would think vaccines just started with the smallpox vaccine or polio vaccine. But uh, in ancient India, they actually had, you mentioned in the book, that they actually had ancient vaccines. Isn't that true? They had vaccines. They also had injections. Um, there were even injections, uh, actual injections that were known uh, with Native American tribes in Canada, when the uh, some of the first British, uh, first French explorers to uh, eastern Canada were had in, uh, had good relations with the Native Americans there. They found that uh, they the Native Americans used a, a primitive form of injection um, of um, again these were herbs that uh, were used. So it's, and this was something that, of course, the Europeans knew nothing about, modern Europeans knew nothing about it at all, although their own ancestors did have things of this nature. So it's, uh, and we know too that in the, the ancient Greek uh, medical kit, there were uh, needles for injecting um, herbs, again, mostly herbs. And that This was all completely uh, forgotten with the fall of civilization. That's one of the terrible things that does come out of this study, that a civilization can rise very high, that its uh, life expectancy of its citizens can be elevated, and that health care can be made available. The Egyptians, and excuse me, not the Egyptians so much, but the Romans and the Chinese created a health care system that puts ours to shame. And if they could do it, we could. But then all that is lost when a civilization falls, when a civilization falls, it isn't just a change of political regime. It's an entire culture that falls, that goes down. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, they're followed by dark ages in which everything is lost. That's exactly what happened with these these great cultures of the past, Egypt and the rest of them. When they were destroyed, and they destroyed themselves uh, internally, it was followed by centuries of ignorance, disease, filth, decline, early death. And only with the beginning of the Renaissance, when the little pieces, fragments of the past were patched together, that our civilization really dates itself from, our civilization today dates itself from the beginning of the Renaissance, which was nothing, and the name itself, Renaissance, means rebirth. Well, what's the rebirth of? It's the rebirth of the ancient world. 
the rebirth of the mm. ancient greatness. That's what made our civilization what it is today, for better or for worse. Okay. Talking with Frank Joseph, uh, the book is entitled Ancient High Tech, The Astonishing Scientific Achievements of Early Civilizations. Fascinating, fascinating book. If you'd like to join us in the conversation, then give a call, 319-527-6702, if you have a question for uh, Frank Joseph. Um, and back to the, the medical um, miracles and so forth, the ancients were doing brain surgery, weren't they? Uh, not only were they doing brain surgery, they were doing it on an extremely high success level. Um, the, uh, there are numerous uh, 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 skulls from ancient Egypt that show um, brain surgery, that the incisions indicate that their success rate was close to 90%. In other words, about 89 88%. And the reason they know that the brain surgery was successful was because after the uh, surgery took place, the skull shows a normal resumption of growth. What's interesting about this is that how did the ancient Egyptian physicians know what area of the brain needed to be uh, addressed? Um, but they did know. They knew where tumors were. Uh, they knew where uh, uh, major... Uh, uh, lesions were in the brain, and they knew how to address it. How to address it? Their tools have survived. Quite a lot of Egyptian tools have survived. Medical tools, instruments, and the level of finesse and, and craftsmanship is on a level that, in some to some degree, is superior to modern um, instruments. Um, the, the, a Roman kit was found, an imperial Roman medical kit, an army kit was found. And um, the, the archaeologists uh, showed these instruments to various medical professionals, and the professionals said that uh, they would uh, love to have instruments as beautifully tooled as these. Uh, another uh, astounding um, medical discovery was made in Peru, uh, it was an Inca uh, toolkit and a, a, a medical toolkit. And the instruments involved were so complex, they were not quite as well made as those found in Rome and Egypt. But in some regards, they were even superior because there were a number that were used for treating uh, women's uh, complaints. And uh, there was a gynecological uh, assortment of instruments which is totally on a par with modern instruments today. And here, this Inca set goes back at least to a thousand years ago. So it's, it's amazing. Where do you think they got this knowledge from? Well, I think uh, they got the knowledge from two places. First of all, we have to consider that their civilizations, like Egypt, I mentioned, they lasted a long time. They were able to keep it going for a long time. They preserved the uh, achievements of uh, their forebearers. The other thing is, is that they were great observers of nature. That's made abundantly clear in all these civilizations. They really observed things. They they watched the way things worked in nature and then tried to apply uh, what they observed into human society. And I think that's what makes a lot of these societies still so attractive to us today, like ancient Greece. It's because it's the application of natural laws to human behavior. You're living in accord with nature. That actually is what the, the basis of all their uh, mystical uh, cults were about was to put human beings in accord with with natural phenomena the gods and goddesses were not things that were totally separate uh, from their own experiences the gods and goddesses uh, were expressions of uh, natural law they were not supernatural they were uh, variations of the natural world and they helped put people in accord with their own nature, and that's what made these societies, I think, so successful. So to answer your question, I think it was they had great powers of, of observation, 
and they respected they deeply respected uh, all those predecessors that came before them and they improved upon them and uh, perpetuated them for many generations to the, the great benefit of their civilization and to now to ours too as it turns out because we're learning all this great uh, achievement can be applied to our time too and is being applied right certainly right. they weren't they weren't stupid <laughs> um, by no means and, <laughs> by no means no. <laughs> Um, and they, there's even, um, I think of our communication systems today, we've got the internet, we've got telephones, but, uh, back, uh, the ancients had what, what children would use as the, the tin cans with, with the string between them. That was, that was used in the, in the ancient times, was it not? Well, yes, that's, that's technology on a very low level, of course, but nonetheless, it's kind of surprising. There's a place called Chan Chan. And it's just a gigantic, huge pre-Inca city in northern Peru, uh, not too far from the Pacific Ocean. And uh, they had a communication system that was just, um, oh, some kind of dried sinews between two cups, as it were, and they could talk like on a kind of a telephone. Uh, but there's, which is innovative, I suppose, for a society that existed more than a thousand years ago. They were called the Chimor, very great people. But more advanced than that, far more advanced than that, was in our own part of the, our own continent, in the American Southwest. Um, there is a uh, place called the Four Corners, and where the four states come together. Um, uh, let's see, uh, um, Wyoming, New Mexico, Arizona, and Colorado. And there is a place called Chaco Canyon. And this place was thriving a little bit less than a thousand years ago, still a long time ago, about 800, 700 to 800 years ago. And a great civilization arose there. Most Americans are completely oblivious to this. And this civilization had a, had its own Internet, as it were. They had a, uh information system that could trans, uh, transmit data from one part of their empire to the other over hundreds of miles in a matter of seconds and they did this by means of uh, beacons and um, polished mirrors they would flash this information uh, over huge areas of desert day and night during the day they had their mirrors and then the evening they had their bonfires um, this is in a wonderful book uh, called Sacred Rain that came out uh, about 10 or 15 years ago by a wonderful archaeologist. His name was Poole, P-O-O-L-E, and he talks about the Anasazi. That's what this people were, two peoples together called the Anasazi and the Hohokam. And they created the, really the, America's first Internet where you could flash all kinds of uh, information over huge distances just using light and beacons and so forth. Just uh, terrific. And, of course, when wow. that civilization fell, then that was the end of it. Uh, it was all lost. It's all now being picked up again in little pieces by the archaeologists out there in the Chaco Canyon. Mm-hmm. There, there's so much that we need to rediscover. Uh, like you said, with, with cures for cancer and, and brain surgery, there's so much that needs to be rediscovered nowadays to help us out. I really think so. Um, the unfortunate thing is is that civilization is very delicate. High culture is even more delicate. And in order for things like uh, universal health care and some of these other things to exist, you have to have a stable society. Uh, you have to have a society in which there's more of a harmonious or brotherly and sisterly feeling, uh, comradeship, uh, feeling of community. And uh, if you don't have that, I find these great advances can't advance. Or they can't be really applied. And what happens, and this is, you learn this from the past too, from studying these civilizations, what happens then is all the great genius of the, the medical achievements and the optics and so forth, it gets transformed into uh, weapons of oppression. And uh, that's exactly what happened in the ancient world. When people become desperate and societies become... Um, get to disintegrate uh, then the 
this great genius has turned in on itself. Uh, an example of that was, for example, uh, the same wonderful Greeks who built the beautiful temples and so on. Uh, they, when they, their turn came to have these uh, horrible instances of of collapse, social uh, warfare, they created the first flamethrower. Uh, horrible weapon that was. They engaged, and others engaged, the Chinese engaged in horrible examples of biological warfare. Um, uh, the um, ancient Greeks, uh, when they were trying to defend their colony on Syracuse, 200 B.C., 2,200 years ago, uh, they called in the most, uh, probably the single most brilliant creature of the ancient world, is very famous man, is Archimedes. Uh, who had built wonderful things like the Archimedes screw for bringing water up from the earth and doing all these other wonderful things. And now his genius was uh, applied for war, and he created uh, a solar cannon, um, an artillery device that was able to harness the power of the sun uh, through his high use of high mathematics, his applied mathematics, in which he burned the Roman ships that were attacking, and he incinerated the men on board. And horrible, horrible weapons of war were the result of this same high genius. Uh, his cannon, by the way, was regarded uh, kind of half seriously after the fall of the ancient world. Surely the ancients couldn't have used a solar cannon. They didn't, couldn't possibly have had anything like that until experiments by the Greek Navy in the 1970s and more recently in a television show called The Mythbusters showed conclusively that Archimedes' solar gun or artillery did in fact work. Uh, the reason why it, uh, it succeeded so successfully was because he understood the mathematical relationship between the position of the sun and the position of his targets, he lined up a number of highly polished parabolic mirrors, and he aimed them at the Roman ships, but only brought the solar power to bear when they, paused, when they passed a specific point. And when they reached that point, which was at the edge of the Syracuse Harbor, that's when he harnessed the power of the sun to create this uh, terrible weapon that saved Syracuse for a while. Uh, the Romans were thoroughly defeated. It was one of their worst naval defeats ever. And um, when Syracuse fell, it wasn't for lack of high technology. It was through treason, as it turns out. And the Roman general in charge of the um, occupation of Syracuse wanted Archimedes taken alive under no circumstances. When you find this man, he told his guards, bring him no harm, bring him to us. We need him to create the kind of technology for us that he created for the Greeks. But when the Roman guard found Archimedes, he stabbed him to death. And the reason why was because Archimedes had burned to death too many of uh, this guard's comrades. He saw how horribly they died. And um, that's, I think, a great lesson there, that uh, all the wonderful achievements of the ancient world uh, in healing, if society itself begins to become corrupt and misled and unharmonious, it, all this greatness turns in on itself and does uh, all this same level of greatness now turns to levels of horror. And sure. That's that can happen to that happens to us too. You know, we're not exempt from from any of that. That's the great uh, uh, benefit of history is that it it's a mirror that that holds up uh, the truth for us. You know, it isn't just something that happened in the past. You know, it's it's uh, our own reflection in it. If we choose to look at it, that is certainly. Uh, Frank, I think we're all smarter just for listening to you this hour. It went by oh, so fast. Wow. <laughs> Ryan and I are hooked. You need to be on the show as many times as you're willing to be because we just what a, what a wealth of information you are, Frank. Well, that's Thank very you kind so of you. Much. Well, to be perfectly honest, I'd rather listen to you two talk. I know all this stuff. <laughs> you're telling this great <laughs> stuff here at the beginning of this. 
I figured I'd just listen to well, them talk. They can use my time up. That's fine, you know. That's well, wonderful. You know, what we love about this show, Frank, is it's just really researchers, you know, with open minds and just truly love history. And um, I, I love that you had said that the ancient Egyptians, there there was no God and religion. It was no. all the same. And working with the indigenous culture, too, it's like, God is science. Hello. You know, so I, just, I think it's a beautiful thing that uh, we are definitely awakening to something new. Don't you believe, Frank? Oh, some people are. I don't know that the whole culture is. I, I really am quite afraid for the future, quite honestly. I think there are many wonderful, good people. Maybe the majority of people are, are good. I don't know. But uh, there is great evil unloosed in the world now. And this evil right. is uh, interested in controlling and making us uh, into what they want us to be. And uh, I yeah, believe that science is, that science is in the hands, much of science is in the hands of some very uh, demonic human beings. And um, I think we, I just hope we can uh, avoid what they have in mind for us. Right. Well, and that's kind of why we have this show, to help awaken people to a higher frequency. We can bring it back. We we can bring the ancient you know, utopian society back. I, I, you know, call me a dreamer. <laughs> well, I, I, w- I think it's a wonderful dream, and I would like to, of course, I'd love to see something like that. Uh, we, you can't go right. back into the past, but you can certainly uh, model yourself on its best aspects. And I, I would like to see that uh, happen. I, I hope right. so, but I'm, uh, I'm concerned. I really am. Yeah. Wow, well, we I have think to we be. all are, but you know. A law yeah. of the universe is chaos into order, and let's hope order comes faster than and less chaos, right? So, yeah. blessings to you guys both. Thank you so much, Frank, for being with us. Well, thank Frank, you. The pleasure quick, is all mine. Oh, absolutely. My, our, our pleasure. Where do people pick up the book and learn more about you? Well, with uh, the closure of so many bookstores around the world now, the only place to really get uh, ancient high tech is at Amazon.com. Now, you can still get it pretty easily there. And uh, if they need to, if anyone needs to speak with me or get in contact with me, uh, my website is ancientamerican.com. Ancientamerican.com. Ancient, ancient high tech is the name of the book, folks. The astonishing scientific achievements of early civilizations. The author is Frank Joseph, and Frank, this has been so much fun. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Oh, it's just great, Ryan, and uh, I'm glad to speak with both of you tonight. It was very enjoyable. I felt it was a, more of a conversation than an interview. That's what we yeah, aim to we do. Like to keep it, <laughs> yeah, we very like good. it Yeah, very good. Keep up the good work. <laughs> All right, great. Thank you, Frank. Have a good night. Good night. All right. Camera, what do you think of that? That uh, I could listen to him for another hour or two. Oh man, you know it's one of those things. It's nine o'clock at night here in Tennessee, and yep. like I said, you have such wonderful guests that are just incredible storytellers. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's it, it, you know just incredible researchers. We, like I said, it just tucks us into bed at night, which just smiles on our faces. So. You know, oh, yeah. I really, and really we've gone, enjoy. I would we've love gone to hear. long. Go What's ahead. That? We've gone long. No, I here. know there's we're a in, little bit. We're into overtime now, so. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. Fine. I'm surprised blog talk, talk whatever we've got. No, <laughs> nope, they yeah, didn't shut us blog off. Talk. They, they haven't. Well, anyway, <laughs> a wonderful show as always. Wonderful guest you booked, Ryan, and we'll see you Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday with John Russell. Psychic John Russell. Psychic reading night. Psychic reading night. That's Wednesday the 25th, folks. Take a look at RyanLindseyShow.com for more information about guests past, present, and future and information on their books as well and their website. And uh, we'll talk on Wednesday. In the meantime, be safe, be kind. I'm Ryan Lindsay. We'll talk later. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Ryan Lindsay Show. 
visit RyanLindsayShow.com for more information about The Ryan Lindsay Show. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.